This morning's reading is from Luke, chapter 14, verses 1, 7 to 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished from you, distinguished than you, has been invited by your host, and the host who has invited both of you may come to you and say, please, give this person your place, and then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he or she may say to you, ah, friend, move up higher, and then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Holy God, startle us once again, as you often do, because we get into patterns and we need your holy reminder of your kingdom. May we hear, may we see, and may we be. Amen. Having listened to Lee read this wonderful scripture, Thank you for acting it out as well. It reminds me that we are at fault when we domesticate Jesus. Meals in the gospel are not safe, easy, or necessarily pleasant. An exception may be the stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000, 5,000 men, not including women and children who were also included, or in the other feeding of 4,000. That's a great story, those are great stories. Otherwise, I am not too fond of the settings of meals with Jesus, because I too want to domesticate Jesus. Most meals in which Jesus is a participant are a challenge to social norms for that time which are remarkably similar to the practices I currently offer. Not, we'll talk about how Jesus was sitting, but he, the, the offer of invitation outside of our comfort zone. Jesus was not affirming the seating arrangement in this story. Jesus is not always affirming of anything that I consider normal in many of the meals with Jesus stories. 
For instance, this wonderful table was a meal. It was a last supper, which we celebrate, I love. The meal ends with Jesus getting up from the table, wrapping a cloth around his waist, and then washing his disciples' feet, which I do not do. It's a little uncomfortable, nor would I want you to do it for me. It's just uncomfortable meals with Jesus could be uncomfortable, so I have to ask myself, and perhaps you might be asking yourselves too, do I prefer, do we prefer celebrating Jesus or modeling Jesus, or both? In Luke's lesson, it is not about, guys, watch out, don't embarrass yourselves by sitting in the wrong seat. Instead, the lesson Jesus is preaching is against social climbing, marking our status or our contributions to society, trying to elevate ourselves to gain more respect and a larger audience. Now that hits rather close to home. And I would prefer it if Jesus just pointed his finger at somebody else like that host, hey, you shouldn't be doing this, so I could say, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that, but that's not how our Lord works. We are always in the story. It's easy to blame the host. It's harder to be the host to whom Jesus is offering possibly a different way of being. Now, chapter 14, it begins on the Sabbath likely midday, afternoon, after the synagogue worship service, and Jesus and the others are on the road to the prominent Pharisee's house for lunch. On the way, part of what we didn't read, but if you look at verse two in chapter 14, Jesus is interrupted out of compassion and mercy. Nobody says, hey, Jesus, do this, but he notices a person who is in need, and Jesus heals on the Sabbath, while walking to the Pharisee's house for a meal. The crowd following along the sidelines where this person who needed healing is standing or sitting, the crowd watches Jesus. Notice a person suffering from swollen joints, bodily bloat, edema or dropsy, horribly uncomfortable. It is neither attractive nor comfortable. And Jesus sees and acts. He took him, he healed him, he restored him, he released him, setting him free of disease on the Sabbath, which offended a couple of his hosts, Jesus' hosts. You and I, I hope you, do, you see it too, but I see compassion and mercy. And so does the larger crowd watching Jesus step away from his fellow uh, rabbis and religious and helping somebody in need. Those with whom Jesus is traveling for a Sabbath meal see Sabbath breaking. Healing on the Sabbath was considered work. You can jolly well work, Jesus, after the Sabbath is finished. Why interrupt the Sabbath with work? And Jesus responds quickly. 
Okay, let's change the table here. We're not talking about somebody you don't know that you are offended by. Let's make this personal. Your child has fallen into a whale on Sabbath. Are you just going to let the child drown because it's Sabbath? No, of course not. You're going to jump in there, and you're going to retrieve and rescue your child. How much more can I do the same for this man right here? Now, let's just hypothesize on what's going in the minds, what's crossing through the minds of, of the religious leaders and the Pharisees going to this prestigious after-synagogue meal. Perhaps they are saying, we're not talking about our child, Rabbi Jesus. We're talking about that guy over there who is not invited to our meal, who isn't attractive, who I don't even know. Why are you healing that person? And Jesus is going, point made. Why are you looking at one person and equating them different than your own child? Now, Jesus understands God's view, but he's trying to teach this view, even to this audience. So much easier to point and say, this is why you should not do that, to deny the very thing that causes us to be critical of somebody else. I'm not being critical. I'm being wise. Hmm. All right, let's move on to the meal. They assembled to eat at the Pharisees' house. Now, meals were shared not around a, a table as we would with, with chairs and our feet dangling over the edges. Meals were shared around a, a shape of a U with low-lying couches, or I don't know what you want, or mats, um, probably couches, onto which each guest would recline. They would recline on the left side because you use the right hand for eating. The elbow would be bent, your head would be resting on your hand, your feet would be behind you. So you're not taking up the entire couch, you're, you're reclining at a very low table or mat, your feet are behind you, which by the way leads me to another Meals with Jesus story. Remember when Jesus is once again dining, I think this time at Simon's house or even at Bethany, are the stories the same or are they two different occasions, who knows? But a woman comes and takes Jesus' feet and washes them with her hair and with expensive alabaster oil. How could she have done that if Jesus were sitting like we would? She would have to crawl under the table. No, this was quite easy to do. Reclining while eating. Now, the, the U-shaped lounges were, are also designed for honor. The host will be in the middle front uh, lounge. The most important guest will be on the right. The lesser guests will be on the left. And it is assumed in this culture that you must save space for the person who considers themselves the most honorable who won't show up until late. Because that's what you were supposed to do. Might have been behind what Jesus was saying about moving around. But Jesus' lesson is not about table manners. Jesus is pointing out this honor etiquette and practice that elevates one sort of person, people, over others, and he's just proven he doesn't do that. Now, Jesus knows this honor system. It is how he was brought up and raised. Mother Mary would have been perfectly good and astute at it teaching him the way people expect things to be, to which Jesus was going, hmm, I might have to interrupt that. So, the seating arra arrangement is set, 
Jesus speaks, basically rewording Jesus, which I rather enjoy doing, and I hope when I get to heaven he doesn't criticize me for it. But basically Jesus says, hey guys, you are all sitting in the wrong place. Now that would have caused some social anxiety. Everybody would have double checked, am I in the right place? And Jesus wanted them to know, why are you sitting, sitting, reclining, not sitting, that's our word, why are you reclining where you are? And in that position, are you then declining, denying somebody else to have another position? Would you be willing to put yourself in the lesser position, going against the social norms of honor? Now that's when hearing you guys are all sitting in the wrong place, their insecurities are just aglow because how embarrassing is that to be in the wrong place? But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus, rabbi, indeed, homeless, no synagogue of his own, sitting with well-placed religious leaders. But he's not finished with the challenges, let's just bring on the second challenge looking directly at the host, eye to eye, heart to heart, mind to mind, and you invited the wrong guests. Now remember the healing that Jesus worked on the honorable Sabbath meal day, the healing, breaking the law, and I suspect that incident is still very much in everybody's mind thinking to themselves, he can't be a rabbi, he just broke the Sabbath. But Jesus is not thwarted, even though he probably knows exactly what they're thinking, and you don't have to be a mind reader to know when somebody is disapproving you, it's really obvious on faces. Jesus continues, next time, he says, do not invite your friends, your relatives, or your neighbors, the ones you know, but invite the people who are not in your crowd. Invite people who you may not like or appreciate or agree with on anything. Now this is not a time for finger pointing in this lesson. We know, because we've sat with scripture for so long, that the Pharisees had a couple of things to learn, but Pharisees and Presbyterians are really closely connected. Have you ever noticed? We have a few things to still continue to learn. It is uncomfortable for me to listen to my Lord knowing perfectly well that when I invite people to dine at my house, I know them well. Or if I don't know them well, I know enough about them. And even as I look back over the years, I have never invited somebody at a street corner to come and dine at my house. I have prayed with people. I have encouraged people. I've given resource information to people. I have not invited them to my home. I, too, follow social norms and expectations, and I have to wonder why I'm feeling so uneasy about this particular lesson and preaching today. 
It's easy to talk about reclining at table and leaning on your left arm and picking up food with your fingers, which by the way, we had to learn in Cameroon, which is really not that difficult. What's difficult is picking up food with your fingers when you take the fufu, uh, think mashed potatoes, but a better crop, um, you fufu and dip it into peanut sauce. Nobody else drips but me. I learned, and everybody else giggled, and they stopped bringing spoons for me. So this is not about eating how we eat, because the world eats differently. So one of the guests is as equally uncomfortable as I am preaching this text, and the guest says, enough about table manners, Jesus. Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, because this person didn't know about kingdom. Jesus hears him, and then in his response to this statement, Jesus opens up with a different sort of parable, another story about invitation God to God's kingdom. It is a generous but uncomfortable story called the parable of the great banquet. Now we didn't read this if you open your Bibles and you continue on after verse 14 to verse 15. Now Jesus tells another story at this same table setting. There is a great dinner prepared. Many have been invited. The meal is finally ready. And on that day, someone was asked, probably a serving person within the household, was asked to go around to all the invited guests and say, come, everything is ready, come. Now, in our culture, when we receive an invitation, we send an RSVP, do you not? Right, so there weren't RSVPs, either by text or by mail. Um, there would be a general word back to the host, yes, we will be there, thank you so much for the invitation. But then there was the reminder, now we're ready. So think of that as the RSVP process. But invitations and time, not invitations, let me correct that, time was a different aspect than we know today with our, okay, you don't have wristwatches, these are antiques, but I happen to love mine. You have your phone, you have your, never mind. There, it was normal for somebody to go out, then and there, to go out and say, okay, come. So a comparable story in our experience, and David and my experience in Cameroon, it's Sunday morning, we are to be at worship on time, David is preaching, and there's a monsoon. So we think, okay, no umbrella is going to help with this, and we just go straight to, to the chapel, through the mud. And we're filthy, and we're wet, and nobody's there. The elder meets us. You know, have you ever noticed that we're not part of the African society? So we're still learners on the ways and means to do things. The elder looks at us, trying desperately not to giggle or scowl, I'm not quite sure which, as we said, where is everybody? Elder said, did you notice it's raining? Oh, yes. Why should that interrupt time? Time is when people can come to church safely. I will ring the bell, the church bell, as soon as it's safe for people to come. Do they know this is Sunday and this is the time of worship? Yes. They will wait for the bell to hear when it's safe to come. And they will be dry, as this person looked at us, and clean, neither of which were we. 
Second invitations, normal depending on where you are, RSVP, the church bell, and in this story, the serving person goes out and everybody declines, not acceptable. These are people who had accepted the invitation, but the fact that they declined is not the point, it's the ridiculous excuses. Oh, I bought a piece of property and now I have to go see it as if the person bought property sight unseen or without an interme um, intermediary to say, yes, uncle, this is the, pr the property that you should buy. The next excuse, oh, I bought 10 oxen, that's two sets of five pairs of oxen. Oh no, I best go check them out. Well, no one in this time, would, or in any time, would buy oxens to pull carts that weren't already tested to make sure they were evenly matched and strong enough for the burden that you need the oxen to carry. It may sound not ridiculous to you, but it is in this setting. And the last one. I just got married, I can't come. And we say, yay, let's celebrate, except that weddings were arranged so far in advance that the person would never have accepted the invitation to the banquet if that were truly the case. Excuses with absolutely no foundation. Come, nah, don't want to. Now in Jesus' mind, Jesus is thinking the last call from God to say come, not the last, but the big call from God to say come, everything is ready, you don't need to buy, you don't need to bring money, come, eat and drink, nah. Now I understand that that's what Jesus is thinking, but the excuses Jesus just brought were appropriate for his time and were ridiculous just as just inviting the people that you know, in Jesus's mind, is ridiculous. Silly excuses aside, the bold generosity of God's invitation, everyone, to everyone. Now in that, that parable that we didn't read and I'm not supposed to be preaching on, they all did. They went out to the, the highways, not highways, they went out to the roads, to the village. We've got a feast, it's ready. The people that were invited didn't want to come and we so want you and they did. Come, eat, everything is ready. Jesus knows that this kind of hospitality, don't just invite your friends, invite everyone, is actually really super uncomfortable. Jesus knows this perfectly well, which is why I'm not terrifically fond of eating with Jesus. I don't want to get up there and unwash your feet after meal, and I think you would be equally as uncomfortable. Who don't we want to eat with, becomes the question. Who do I want to avoid? Whose opinion is one I don't want to have to listen to for a half hour? Feel free to carry on and read. That God also says, in this parable, the unpleasantness of those who were invited will not come, will not be invited again to this parable that Jesus shares, to which some, people will then say, you know what? Some of you aren't gonna get into the kingdom of heaven. To which I would reply, who's speaking here? The Lord of hosts is speaking about the God of creation. Who's in charge of this invitation? Who's the one that said everybody? The Lord of hosts and the God of invitation. So, God does not have 
an exclusive table. He has an inclusive, God has an inclusive table. So back to our decision-making, and I bring this to an end. What would you like to do? Celebrate Jesus or model Jesus or both? Come, everything is ready. Make sure everybody hears this invitation. Amen.